It's our first visit to your beautiful country, and we love it very much. We arrived about uh, 10 days ago, and we flew into Johannesburg, and Sue Wiley's daughter-in-law met us and took us to their home, and uh, that was very lovely to be with them. And then we went in, her son Steve organized for us to go into the bush, something we'd never done before, to see the animals. And I have to say that uh, the Lord was very kind to us in terms of what we saw there. It was, it was more than wonderful. It was really magical, is the word that I would use to describe our experience there. And, uh, and then we drove, well, we had a little mishap, or at least I had a mishap. Because we then went to hire a car in order to drive down to the Drakensberg Mountains. And so we got to the Avis car rental place. And I got my wallet out where my driving license is. Only to find it wasn't there. So I panicked thinking, oh no, I know Joy doesn't like driving. Certainly she doesn't like driving abroad. And so hunted high and low for this driving license only to find... It was nowhere to be found. So Joy was very gracious, at least for the first 350 <laughs> kilometers, and, uh, and managed to drive. To cut a long story short, got in touch with our daughter back home in England, and uh, I've got a paper copy of my license. Got that photographed and sent over here. And in Durban, they very kindly let me drive a car. So praise the Lord. But the Lord, the Lord is with us. Uh, we went to a place called Champagne Castle Hotel. It's uh, somewhere in the Drakensberg. <laughs> it's as far as I know. Very beautiful and uh, very magical. Very magical. Anyway, I want to share with you today, I will share a bit about Nepal, but I want to also share with you a little bit more. I want to share with you something from the Word of God because I want you to... Uh, receive something today which is going to help you on your journey of life. Because we're all on that journey and we're making it together. And there are certain things that we need to help us on that journey. And one of the things that we need to help us on that journey is something I want to talk about today. And it's hope. I want to talk about hope. And I want to do it based on the Word of God. So what I would like to do first of all is I would like to read... From one of the Psalms. It's Psalm 33. So just, uh, if you just sit and listen for a moment, if you have a Bible, you might like to follow it. I'm reading from the New International Version. And the psalmist writes this. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host, by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust 
in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So the psalmist here, what he wants to do first of all, is he wants to paint a big picture of what God is like. He tells us that he is faithful in all he does. The earth, he says, is full of his unfailing love. So we learn here that God is faithful and loving, and we see it in the witness of creation. The earth is full of his unfailing love. So God is faithful. We can predict when the sun is going to rise. We can predict when the sun is going to set. We can predict when the tide is going to be at its highest. We can predict when the, hu- the tide is going to be at its lowest. We can predict when there's going to be a full moon. I think there's going to be a full moon, in fact, in a few days' time. You know, it's a regular thing that happens, and it demonstrates something of God's faithfulness. The creation demonstrates that to us. So there's a predictability in God's character. He is very predictable in his faithfulness. And yet there's a richness and a diversity at the same time in his creation, as we saw when we went into the bush, the many different kinds of birds. I think Steve was um, keeping a record of how many different mammals we saw in one day, and I think it was something like 17 in one day without really even looking, let alone the birds, let alone the plants. There's such a huge variety within the predictability of God's creation. He is faithful. And it tells us that in Hebrews as well. He's faithful. He's never going to leave you. And I'm sure many of you would be able to testify to that through your own experience, through the ups and downs of life. You know, it would be lovely to think that uh, as we started out on a Christian journey, everything would go swimmingly well. Everything would go, would go easy. That there would be no obstacles to overcome. But I guess as we sit here today, we would recognize that actually in life there are many difficulties, there are many trials, there are many obstacles. You may even be going through some now, or it may be members of your family or those people that you love are going through a very difficult time. Well, let me assure you of this, that God is faithful in it all. And he's faithful in the good times and the bad times. The apostle Peter, who adamantly said, everyone else may desert you, but as for me, I will never desert you. I will never deny you. And of course, we know what happened. He was the first and he denied Jesus. And yet Jesus still was faithful to him. And after the resurrection, he mentions Peter specifically and commissions him. We see again with uh, King David. King David, a man after God's own heart. And yet what does he do? He commits adultery. And as if that isn't bad enough, he has the woman with whom he's committed adultery, her husband, he has her in effect murdered killed in battle. And yet God is faithful to him as well. So God is not simply faithful during the good times. God is faithful during the bad times. He is loving. And we see Jesus' love in many ways. We see his love and concern on the cross is even in the agony of death. He sees his mother and he sees the apostle John. And even there he reaches out in love to both of them. God is loving. He is faithful in all he does. But not only that, The psalmist tells us here, and this, I think, what we need to be doing as we're hearing this today, is we need to be relating this to our own life. We need to be relating this to our own experience, to what you're going through now. What are the issues that you're facing in your life today? What are the things that are on your heart? What are the things that may waken you up in the middle of the night? And you may find it difficult to get back to sleep. What are those phone calls that you might be dreading that you're going to get? God is faithful in all of that. And God is loving in all of that. Not only that, he says God is powerful. And he talks about uh, the ways in which he sees God's power. He says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. Now, One of the things I was really excited about coming to South Africa, I've been once to the Southern Hemisphere before that. I went to Uganda 
because our youngest son was working in a Christian charity in the slums of Kampala. And I said to him, could you take me to the equator, please, because I've never been in the southern hemisphere. So he took me on a drive down to this cafe, which was right on the equator, and they had it marked with a line. And so I went in the cafe, and I sat on a chair where the line went right (laughs) between my legs. So I was in the southern hemisphere, at least half of me was. But it was the daytime, so I never saw the night sky. And I'd always wanted to see the night sky from the southern hemisphere because I'd never seen the southern cross. So the day we arrived in Johannesburg and we were in Steve and Viv's house, and I said to Steve, can we go out in the garden and can you show me where the southern cross is? (laughs) And he did. So by the psalmist says, the starry host made... By the breath, the breath of God's mouth. Now, if you just take a moment to put your hand in front of your mouth and just breathe normally. Don't go, (gasps) just breathe normally. It doesn't feel very powerful, does it? It doesn't feel very powerful. And yet, the Bible says, a starry host was made by the breath of God of his mouth. That's incomprehensible, the absolute power of our God. So when we face those situations in life that trouble us, that worry us, that concern us, sometimes what the psalmist is trying to do is he's trying to give us a bigger picture of what God is like. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, the starry host, by the breath of his mouth. Not only that, but he says this. He gathers up the waters of the sea into jars. There you go. There's a jar. He says that in verse 7. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. Now, it's very interesting because in ancient times, they regarded the sea as an area of chaos that nobody could control. And here he's saying, well, the Lord, as for the Lord, he gathers the sea into jars. Of course, we see that in Jesus as well, don't we? When he's on the boat on the lake and the storm rises, I wonder if you're in any storms. The storm rises, all of a sudden, it comes out of the blue, it comes from nowhere. Master, don't you care? Don't you hear? Don't you see? Don't you care about what's going on? Do we sometimes say that to the Lord? And Jesus stands up in the boat and commands it to be quiet. And then he says, where's your faith? Perhaps he might ask us the same question today. Where's your faith? Do we have a big picture of God? Or do we have a small one? We live in a broken world, don't we? It's easy to lose hope. I don't want to lose hope. But I have to say as well, sometimes I think, Lord, are you really interested in me? Are you interested in who I really am? It's a silly question to ask when you think about it. But I've been asking that question a lot recently. And I've been asking the question, Lord, are you really concerned about who I am? Or am I simply like a Christian robot? You know, that I have to do the things that you want me to do. Is there any room for the things that are in my heart? And obviously, as you walk with the Lord as a Christian, the Lord affects the desires of your heart as well. So I believe that the Lord is very interested. I mean, as, I, as you know, and as Greg mentioned, I'm very interested in, in Nepal. I love going to that country. And it's a very chaotic country. Um, so you have load shedding here in South Africa. So I don't know. Will there be load shedding today, for example? You, you never know. Okay. So, so okay. So if you get, so was the load shedding this week, this past week? So how often did you have it? You never know. Two or three times a week. Okay. So in Nepal, in the capital city, Kathmandu, they have load shedding every day. And it's uh, usually for a minimum of about nine hours. So you will get a block where there's four hours, there's no electricity, then you get some electricity, and then there's a block where there's five hours no electricity, and then you get electricity. In addition to that as well, depends which part of the city you live in, 
Uh, and it depends whether your house has got a tap or not. But it, you say, let's assume your house has got a tap. Well, it may be that the water is available for half an hour that day. So you have to make sure that you fill all your buckets and everything else during the time that the water comes. In addition to that, the traffic in uh, Kathmandu is very interesting indeed. I think, bearing in mind it's the capital city, I think there is one, possibly two sets of robots in the whole city. And uh, one, I think, that works. Uh, and there's, a, there's this big road goes around the city. It's called the Ring Road. And all the, the major traffic goes around the Ring Road of the city. And, of course, there's many crossing points at the Ring Road. Well, there's no robots there. And there's no systematic way of getting across. It's just a case of if you see a gap or even if you don't see a gap, you make your way across the road. It's a very dusty place as well, Kathmandu. Um, now, I know the South African people, in my limited experience, but you like your food from what I've seen, yes? And the food over here is very good uh, in our experience. And um, in Nepal, it's very different. They have one meal, basically. It's called dalbat. And dal is lentils. So they make a lentil stew, different kinds of lentils, maybe black, maybe red, maybe yellow. And then bat is rice, which has been cooked. So this is what you have. And you may have some vegetables which are slightly spiced in some shape or form. And if you're fortunate, you may get some meat. So the meat will probably be, if you're very fortunate, it will be chicken. If you're less fortunate, it will be goat. And if you're very unfortunate, it will be buffalo. And the buffalo is not like the buffalo here. It's scrawny things. And the meat out there as well is sold really outside. So you'll have a wooden table with the meat just plonked on the table, perhaps with a dog underneath licking up the blood from the animals. And, of course, you get the flies just coming on it. So, um, you know, but I, having said that, I love the country. I love it. I love the people. I love going there. And where did that desire come from? I think Jesus was perhaps involved in that. I first went in 2003. Uh, I went with uh, some people from our church. And I went with a Nepali church planting team up into the high Himalayas. It was like a 14-hour bus journey from Kathmandu to the Indian border, a place called Nepal Ganj, and where it's very hot and very dusty and very unpleasant in Nepal Ganj. And we stayed in this, would I say a hotel? No, not a hotel. Would I say a guest house? Probably not a guest house. A slop house? I don't know what, what the, the equivalent would be in, I don't know, a shacky kind of place. We stayed there overnight and we had to get up at the crack of dawn in order to queue up to get into the airfield in Nepal Ganj because you have to catch a small airplane, if the weather's nice, into the high Himalayas. So my first experience staying in this very grotty, dirty Nepalese guest housey place and then uh, getting up early in the morning it was third world chaos at the airport and, but fortunately, the, the weather was okay, so we were able to fly into the Himalayas, fly into the mountains, land on this dirt strip. Very beautiful there, very quiet. Snow-covered mountains surrounding you. Steep drop into the valley where there was a river. And then it was a five-day walk up to where we wanted to go. So it was five days, and we were camping, and it snowed while we were there, and we had to cross over some ice bridges and so on. But anyway, it was magical. It was magical. It was lovely. My, I fell in love with the people. And uh, while I was there, I had a little notebook. And I kept asking the people, how do you say this? How do you say that in Nepali? And I would write it down phonetically. And so I would have minor, small conversations, usually about family. Because I brought photographs of my family to show them. And this is my wife. This is my son. This is my daughter. And simple things like that. Do you have a wife? Do you have a son? Do you have a daughter? And things like that. So... And then I've continued to learn the language. But the point is this. I think the Lord is very interested. He's very interested. When, when it says God is love, it's not just some abstract God loves the universe. God loves mankind. Well, of course he does. God loves the whole. God loves you as an individual. He created you. 
He knitted you together in your mother's womb. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's not just your physical nature. It's who you are. The gifts, the talents, the abilities that you have, the desires that God is putting in your heart as you walk with him. Jesus is very interested in us and loves us very much. So I've come to that conclusion as well. And uh, I was recently in Nepal. I was there for a month. This is my sabbatical, by the way. I'm not meant to be doing anything. But uh, uh, I was in Nepal anyway for a month because I wanted to learn the language. And so I would go and have language lessons six days a week, eight o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock in the morning at a private lesson. And, and, And this was amazing because I've been learning Nepali for a number of years in London. There's only one Nepali teacher in the whole of the United Kingdom. And he is, he is an expert. And he teaches me privately. This is the kindness of the Lord. And I, I only go up for about an hour and a half every couple of weeks or so. <clears throat> and he uh, teaches me. And so he knew I was going. I, Joy and I have also been out in Nepal. We stayed there for three months in 2012 to help a church get established. But anyway, I was out there last month. <clears throat> and my Nepali teacher in London, I said to him, would it be possible for me to stay with your brother and his wife and family out in Kathmandu? Uh, because we've met them before. We know them fairly well. We don't know them that well, but we know them fairly I said, would it be possible? And I wanted to stay with them for a couple of reasons. One was, certainly the parents don't speak English. They only speak Nepali. And I thought, well, that would be good for me because that would force me then to hear and speak Nepali. Uh, the second reason was they were Hindu. And I thought it would be good to stay with some Hindu people so that you know, maybe something of the gospel that every Christian brings to a situation will rub off on them. Who knows? You don't know. So anyway, to cut a long story short, my teacher in England organized for me to stay with his family. I wasn't quite sure how it was all going to work out. I didn't. We'd been to their house once, but only briefly for a meal. Anyway, I went there. They were delightful. They were lovely. They were very kind. There was mum and dad living there. There was two sons, an older one, 20 years old, and a younger one, 10 years old. And grandma, she was in her 80s, 82, I think. So she was staying. They were all staying in the house. Oh, and there was uncle, who I didn't really get to know. But anyway, so there was, and, and I was staying there. They gave me a lovely room. It was very nice. And um, when I was there, I got talking with the, whole family, but I got talking with the oldest son, 20 years old. His name's Anis, and he spoke English. So I would speak some Nepali to him, and he would help me with my Nepali, and then I'd speak English with him. And I I don't know how it happened, but I started talking to him about Jesus. Because they knew I was a pastor, they knew uh, all that kind of stuff. I was very open about the fact I was a Christian. And so I began talking with him about Jesus. And as I was talking with him about Jesus, I had a sense that the Lord was speaking to him. I had a sense that the the Lord was touching his heart. And uh, he said to me, can I come to church with you? Which was amazing. I said, yeah, of course you can. So we went to church. And Nepal, the Nepali people, their church day is today. It's Saturday, not Sunday like Yours normally is, and ours is in England. So I went with Anis to church. Uh, I'd hired a scooter, an automatic scooter. It's the best way to get around Kathmandu. And he drove the scooter, and I sat in the back. So we drove, went there. Meeting happened. People were very welcoming to him. We mustn't underestimate that, the welcome that people are, receive when they come to church. They welcomed him. And um, after the meeting... Later on, he said to me, he said, during the worship, he said, what do you call it when your hair stands all on end? What do you call that? So I said, oh, you call that goosebumps or goose pimples. He said, I had that the whole time during the worship. He said, running up and down my body. And I said, oh, that's, I said, I think that's the Holy Spirit. Anyway, so he was very interested. And I had a Nepali and English Parallel New Testament. I've got my own one and I read it from time to time and I've got it on my phone and I listen to it and and this kind of thing. 
So I, th- I bought him a copy and he started to read it. He started to read Matthew's gospel. And he was asking me questions about some of the things that Jesus had said. So it was all very exciting and very interesting and an unexpected outcome. So I thought to myself, well, I wonder if he'll want to come back next Saturday. I thought, shall I ask him or shall I just see what happens? So I I waited till later on in the week. And uh, about Thursday, I said, I'm going to go to church again on Saturday. Would you like to come? He said, yes, I'd love to come. So we went. Again, he drove the scooter. I sat on the back. We arrived at the church. Uh, the meeting went on. We were sitting in plastic chairs, a bit like that they are here. He was sitting next to me. I was listening intently because I'm trying to understand what's going on. My uh, Nepali uh, church leader friend, he gets up to preach. It's 5 to 12 in the morning. I'm sitting listening intently, hopefully just as you are now, when suddenly... Suddenly, completely out of the blue, completely unexpected, there's a rumbling sound. And very quickly, the whole building, everything starts to move. The whole building starts to sway. The floor starts to sway. Everybody stands up. Immediately, everyone knows what it is. This is an earthquake, and this is serious. I'm holding onto the wall. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to stand up. People are holding onto me. So there's a chain of us, about three people, four people, all holding onto one another. The nearest I can think of it is like if you're in a rowing boat on the sea and, uh, and you're standing on a rowing boat. And it can sometimes, and if the sea's more, it can be very difficult to stand up. So it was just like that. And immediately I thought, this is dangerous. <laughs> Obviously, I said, this is very dangerous. There's nowhere to hide here. Just a few plastic chairs. Can you get under the chair? Would that help you? The building we were in was one story. It had a tin roof, a bit like some of the shanty towns that you see here with the the corrugated iron roof and just one skin of brick for the walls and it was surrounded by very big buildings very big blocks of flats hemmed in and i thought if one of those comes down we've had it we're goners and so people began to very quickly leave and i said i think we need to find somewhere safe we need to get to some open ground the the ground was still shaking at this time and I said, we need to get to some open ground. The people very quickly left. I got on the scooty with uh, Anis. And we drove off, not really realizing. Before we did that, I said to one of the, the leaders, whose house I was due to go to that afternoon, I said to him, oh, I'll come later this afternoon. Naively thinking, you know, I'd be able to just drive to where he'd lived outside the city. So <clears throat> uh, we drove down through the city. And then we saw some of the devastation. Some of the houses, which they had just, they were just rubble. And there were people milling throughout the street. There was panic going on. We drove right into the city because he wanted to find out what happened to his family. He was quite worried about them. They lived on the other side of the city. So we, he drove down into the city. There was this monument at a, at, a, at a circle near the football stadium in the center of the city. And that just collapsed. And then we were driving along the road and there was a man frantically waving at us in the road to stop. So we stopped and, uh, and the ground was shaking again and there was a house by the side of the road. It must have been four floors high, the house, and the bottom floor had just caved in and the rest of the house, the, the three floors, had just fallen over backwards. And uh, at that point, it, I have to say, it was a very frightening experience. Very frightening indeed. I don't think I've been as frightened in my life as I was when that earthquake hit us when we were in the church. Anyway, at that point, well, there we are, standing on the road with a scooty there. And I said to Anis, and he's a Hindu, mind you. I said, I think we should pray. Is that okay? He said, yes. So I put my arm around his shoulder. And I said, Jesus Uh, I really pray, Father, that you will keep us safe as we journey through the city. And I pray that you will keep Anis' family safe as well. Just a simple prayer. And off we went. And we got to where his house was. And all the family and all the neighbors were sitting in a piece of waste ground just outside the houses. And uh, the house that I'd been living in had many cracks on the outside, and also in the inside, it had some major cracks in the rooms. 
and the front door, you could no longer open it because the family said, what has happened is the house is now leaning backwards. It's no longer upright. It's leaning backwards. And so the door was completely jammed to get in and out. They said, it's not safe to go in there. And I didn't feel safe where, where we were because the patch of ground we were staying in was no bigger than this auditorium and it was surrounded by big flats and I thought if they come down we've had it <laughs> but the family and and part that was damaged by one of the houses as well there was a wall like a retaining wall it just collapsed totally and you could virtually see the foundation of the house as well so it was pretty scary but all the, and then there were tremors going on so at first I started counting how many tremors there were but I gave up because there were so many. So the ground would start shaking. And the ladies, apologies to the ladies here, started screaming. They, so they all stood up. And every time there was a tremor, they started screaming. So it was quite, it was quite a scary uh, atmosphere there. It was quite a lot of fear going on. After a couple of hours there, I said to Anis, I said, shall we go out and have a look around and explore just to see what's happened? So he said, yes. So... We, we left and we went. Uh, it's on the, uh, it's uh, not in the center of the city, but near the center. And so we went out and had a look around. There was a park nearby and everybody was in the park. You could hardly move because everyone had gone out of their houses and wanted to find an open space where they could be safe. And then we began to see some of the other damage that had happened. So there was another house we saw which again, it must have been four floors high. And if you can imagine like a doll's house, how a doll's house, you can maybe open the front of the house and look at the rooms. Well, this is a bit like that, but what had happened is the front of the house had simply collapsed. And so you could see the rooms like in a doll's house, but the front had just collapsed uh, was near the river on the riverbank and the army were there scrabbling through the rubble. This was, you know, within a couple of hours of the first major quake. And unfortunately as well, there was a, a lady who'd obviously been killed in the earthquake and she was lying on the bridge as we walked across and people's belongings were scattered everywhere. And it was, and there was other buildings that, that just, the, all the bricks, just it was just like piles of rubble. So it was a very dangerous uh, and scary time to be there. So the family said to me, it's not safe to go back in the house. So what we're going to do is we want you to go with Anis, the older son. We want you to go with Anis to some friend's house in another part of the city. So if you want to grab a few things very quickly, please do that. So I just went into the house very quickly and grabbed a few bits and pieces and noticed some of the damage. The floor, concrete floor had cracked and, and grabbed a few bits and pieces and we went off to the other part of the city. This family was also Hindu, and um, they were very welcoming. They had a nice house, but no one wanted to sleep indoors. They felt it was too dangerous. So all the people in the community were in an open patch of ground, and they had erected some makeshift tents with tarpaulins on ropes, and they put various tarpaulins on the ground. And, and the weather wasn't particularly brilliant at that time either. It had been stormy. Earlier in the week, there'd been thunder and lightning and torrential rain. So it was a little bit muddy and it wasn't that warm either. Anyway, <clears throat> everyone was going to sleep outside. It was dark, <clears throat> a very dark. I had a torch. Um, you know, there was a lot going on, a lot of people. It's all happening in a foreign language. Yes, I can speak some, but... And I said to myself, oh, and people were saying... It's been reported on the news there's going to be another big quake tonight. It's been on the BBC and it's been on CNN. There's going to be another, between 9 p.m. and midnight, there's going to be another big quake. I thought, I wonder if that's true. Now, the whole cell network had crashed. The internet had crashed. Everything had gone broken. But I managed to get through uh, to uh, one of our sons back in England. Uh, just the, the, the network worked for a little while. And I said, look, are there reports on the BBC there's going to be another big one? Is it on CNN? Is it in NASA? Are they Because this is what I've been hearing. And he managed to vibe on me back and say, no, there's been no reports that there's going to be another big one. 
So all the people knew I was a Christian. And I said to them, and I managed to say this in Nepali. I said, I believe that my life is in the hands of Jesus. And that he decides my future. Now, I wasn't being gung-ho. I just said, I believe that. And I said, so therefore, I'm not going to sleep outside tonight. I'm going to sleep in the house. Because I, I feel that, you know, I feel safe in his hands. So that's what I did. I slept in the house. Everybody else slept outside. And, um, and then the next night, I said the same thing. I said, I believe my life is in the hands of Jesus. So the whole time, and I said that with a little bit of trepidation because it felt a very serious and dangerous situation to be in. But nevertheless, I, I did feel as well that the people were watching how I was responding. They were watching. You're a Christian. Do you, do you really believe that God is the maker of heaven and earth? It was a dangerous situation, but nevertheless, I did. So I stayed in the house and I never slept outside. Um, we do live in a broken world, and that was certainly evidence of that broken world. But in the midst of a broken world where unpleasant things happen that sometimes we have got no control over whatsoever. We had a friend, in fact, when I was telling Sue about him, one of the guys who uh, I went to Nepal with for the very first time. His name was Steve, Steve Bartram. A lovely guy, him and his family, had a real heart for Nepal. They were the ones who, set, who invited me to go the first time. They, you know, loved the, loved the country. And Steve, very nice guy. This is how nice he is. I was speaking at a men's meeting in High Wycombe. And I was talking about how you put off things till tomorrow that you don't want to do today. Yeah? Procrastination, it's called. I don't know if you've ever suffered from that. You think, oh, <clears throat> I'll do it tomorrow. Well, we've got a garden shed in our garden, and it's got a, a what do you call that stuff? It's a felt roof, felt roofing, yeah? And it had deteriorated, and so the shed was leaking. And I thought, yes, I'm, I'm sorry? Is that what you call it here? Okay. Anyway, um, it was leaking, and... Um, I said, okay, I must get round to repairing that tomorrow. Exactly, tomorrow. And I shared this at this men's meeting saying, I can't even remember what it was all about, but I was sharing about procrastination. And uh, anyway, Steve came up to me after the meeting and he said to me, I'll help you. I'll help you fix your roof. That's the kind of guy he was. Not only did he help me fix it, he went to the DIY shop. He bought all the stuff. He brought it back to the garden. He got on the roof. He took the old stuff out. He put the new stuff on, and I banged in about three nails. So, you know, it was a real blessing for me. Uh, anyway, Steve was about 43, 44. They had four sons, very bright Cambridge graduate type people, very clever, mum PhD, and very good. She was in Nepal because she was a linguist, hoping, hoping to translate some of the languages, uh, the Bible into some of the languages because a bit like South Africa many languages are spoken in Nepal and so she was out in the wilderness somewhere in Nepal and her husband got very ill he got they, they said at first it was Crohn's so it was something to do with his bowels or whatever so he went into the local hospital and uh, we said to him do you want us to contact your wife Kathy he said no no she'll just worry I'll be fine don't worry and then I went to see him one afternoon in the hospital, and I came back to the office, and I said to one of the guys, oh, I think Steve's getting better, really encouraged, because we'd been praying, really encouraged, he's getting better. In fact, he didn't. He got worse, and he had to be moved to a specialist hospital about 20 miles away, 15 miles away from where we live. At that time, I said to Steve, I think we need to see if we can get in touch with your wife, Kathy. So we got in touch with Nepal, and to cut a long story short, we managed to get in touch with her, and we said, we think you need to come back to England because Steve is very ill. Because he was then in intensive care. Uh, Kathy's parents had come over from New Zealand. And so he was in hospital, Steve, and he went into a coma. Four sons. I think the oldest at that time was probably about 18. So something like 18, 16, 8, and 6 years old they were at that time. This all just all happened out of the blue. Kathy got the message. She came back to England. 
She went to the hospital. Her parents were there. I was there. And Steve was in a coma. He never regained consciousness. He died. And I think... I still ask the question, why? Why? But I know someone else asked that question. And maybe you've got those questions as well about some of the things that have happened in your life. Why? Why? But I'm always encouraged when I think about Jesus. And he's on the cross and he utters that same question. Why? So if we have a question, why? We're in good company. And I've got other instances in my life, and Joy and I have too. One of our daughters, our first daughter, Rachel, suddenly five months old, in the garden, in the sunshine, stops breathing. Why? Why? I'm at work. I get a phone call from Joy saying, Rachel, stop breathing. It's, you know, it took me a long, long, long time to get a phone call at work and not be afraid. A long time. I've got a, if I got a phone call at work, there's a phone call for you, Ron. My heart used to sink. Did I want it to? No. Did I knew that Jesus loved me? Yes. But still I had to deal with that issue. Why? And even now, it's not totally gone away. But nevertheless, you know, in the midst of, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Digressing a little bit, but it's relevant. When the angel appeared to Mary, he said to Mary, you're highly favored. You're highly favored. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if you went, before you went to bed tonight, the angel Gabriel appeared to you and said to you, you're highly favored. You would be on cloud nine, at least, if not 10 plus. Yeah, you're highly favored. And the, the, the trouble is we can think that if, if God is favoring us, everything's going to be fine. But it's very interesting with Mary, shortly after the angel Gabriel appears to her and says, you're highly favored, the next thing she's hearing is this, a sword is going to pierce your own heart. How can these two things be? You're highly favored, and yet a sword is going to pierce your own heart. Surely they're incompatible. No. Somehow in the midst of the whys of life, the difficulties of life, the obstacles of life, God is still with us and loves us and desires good for us. And let me finish now by what I want to say about hope. Where the psalmist says, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Now listen, may your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So I don't know what situations you're facing today in your life. But I just ask this question. Where are you placing your hope? Where are you placing your hope? Is your picture like the psalmist, the starry host God has created by the breath of his mouth? He is a big picture. Or you gather the waters of the sea, the waters of chaos. You gather them into jars, the power of God. Well, we see it even more, don't we? Because we see Jesus. We see Jesus high and lifted up. And he came to give his life for you and me. And he wants us to place our hope in him. Even when the circumstances of life may be stacked against us, or we feel as if they are, we want to place our hope in him. And what I would like to do this morning, and it's purely voluntary, is what I've done here is I've just done these little pieces of paper with the verse on where it says, may your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. I wonder what hopes you might place on the Lord. I'd like to just give you the opportunity maybe to write down some of the hopes that you have and to place them before the Lord. What I'd like to do, again, voluntary, if you want to fill in maybe one or two of the hopes that you have, that you would like to 
uphold them before the Lord, then what I'll do, I'll ask you to bring them out. I'll ask you to put them in this bag and then together as a church, we'll pray for the hopes. No one else is going to be reading them. I will take them away. I won't read them, but I'll take them away and they'll be safe. So if you would like to, um, please come and take one if you would like to do that. And, uh, yep, pens and pencils. Just maybe you've got some hopes. Maybe it's hopes for your family. Maybe it's hopes for your health. Hopes for yourself. Hopes for the church. Hopes for the nation. And then when we've finished, we just put them in this bag and then we'll pray together. Obviously, I, I bring greetings uh, from Joyce's parents, Frank and Eileen. We're so thrilled that we're able to come here today. And uh, they bring greetings, very, very fond memories of all of you. They would love to come again, but they're just getting a bit old, aren't they? <laughs> It's getting a bit old. And thank you so much as well for praying for us. We really appreciate that. And you're very kind welcome to us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. It, I have to say it is the most frightened I have been in my life. No question of that. When that all kicked off, it was very, very frightening. And I didn't even mention about the next day because there was another significant quake the following day. And I was, at, I was at a friend's house and everybody ran from the house to the, an open place of ground. And again, people were screaming because it was... <laughs> it's a very scary... Because you think the earth is stable, don't you? <laughs> so when... And you're just sitting there minding your own business. And all of a sudden, the whole world changes. And uh, so for me, it was like two completely different. It was the first half of Nepal and the second half. And the destruction in the city, I haven't even uh, could have told you more. There's this famous landmark in the city. Darahara Tower, it's called. And it's seven stories high. And you can climb up it. It's a lovely viewing platform. I've been up there. In the earthquake, it just crashed down to the ground. 150 people killed. Temple area, I had been to World Heritage Site. I'd been to the previous day with my Nepali friend. He wanted me to go to the museum. It's lovely, very exotic. Went there, saw some of the history of Nepal. Next day, the earthquake came. It is exactly the same time that we were there, except 24 hours later, most of it came crashing down. So the Lord was looking after us. Thank you for your prayers. Gave me confidence, I'm sure. Bless you. Yeah, I mean, there were these big transport planes coming in, many coming in, especially from India. Big helicopters from America were coming in as well. And their, their runway, at the best of times, is not very good. And, um, and I was driving past the airport about two days after the big quake. And there was a huge queue to get into the airport. Huge. It was all the way out of the airport grounds, all the way along the road. I thought, oh, great. But I wasn't due to leave for till another week after that, by which time it quietened down. So I got out, no problem. I didn't want to leave early. It's a strange thing because um, it was a very scary experience. And yet I feel that an even greater sense of solidarity with God's people and the Nepali people. Thank you, Jonathan, in general, because of that experience. So, you know, the Lord works all things together for good, we're told. It can be very difficult to believe. Shall we all stand together? I, wanna, I want us all to pray. Um, us all to pray. As I said, nobody will be reading these. I will make sure that happens. Nobody. Yeah, let's pray. Let's hold hands. That would be good. If you want to hold hands, and I'll, I'll lift these up. Father, <clears throat> Father,
Father, you've said in your word about uh, your unfailing love rests upon us even as we place our hopes in you. And that's where we place them, Lord. Lord, we, we confess there are many things that happen in this life that we would rather they didn't happen. We, we confess as well, Lord, there are many things that happen in our life. We don't understand why they happen. But nevertheless, Father, we trust you because you love us. And you don't just love us in a universal way. You love us in a particular and special way because you have made us. We're unique because you've made us the unique people that we are. And we're grateful for the life that you've given us. Father, and all these hopes that we have written down today, we, we lift them up to you in the name of Jesus. And we humbly ask mighty God who, who made the starry host with the breath of your mouth and you gather the waters of chaos in a jar. Father, we lift them up to you and we say, Lord, will you bless? Will you fulfill the hopes that we have. We pray for that, Lord. And we pray that in the midst of the hopes that we have, that you will work out your good and perfect purposes. Then we ask for these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for the faithful people in this church, Lord. And I ask in Jesus' mighty name that the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will rest upon every single member of this church. I pray that the blessing of Almighty God will be poured out upon this church for wisdom for the leaders. I pray that love will flow in this church like a mighty river. I pray, Lord, that this church will be bursting in its seams. I pray in the name of Jesus that this church will have to have two meetings on a Sunday morning, Lord, because so many people will come. Lord, will you do this? Will you extend your carpet of grace and give abundant blessing? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Bless you. Well, thank you very much for listening so well. The Lord bless you.